How you doing? Are you, everyone awake? You guys are, uh, all right here? Yeah? You uh, get extra points in heaven for being at the early service today, so I, I don't know where you can use them there. It's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. You turn them in, get something, but uh, no, so it's good to be with you here this morning, and uh, as always, it is a pleasure uh, to worship alongside you and to be able to teach and, and be a part of this morning. Um, you know, I was thinking, we're, in the, we're starting a series last week. We started a series called Crossroads. It's called The Journey to Easter. And the point of this series is we're looking at the events in the last week of the life of Christ and the decisions that he made that led towards the cross, that led towards his uh, death, crucifixion, and resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we want to use this season to prepare our hearts to reflect on what he did. But when we look at it, uh, again, why we're calling it crossroads is the, the definition of crossroads is a point at time a point in time in which a crucial decision had to be made that led to a significant change in direction. And so these are decisions that when Jesus made these decisions and how the events unfolded the way they did, that we want to explore why did he make those decisions and how did that ultimately change the course of human history? And then as we learn more about our God and be reminded of this truth, how does that call us to respond? And so that's why we're looking at this. Now this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look in the book of Luke chapter 22. I want to invite you if you want to start finding your way there. We're going to look at what is a very, very familiar passage to many of us. Now you may not know it's familiar, but the, the, some of the symbolism and some of the teachings from this passage are probably things that you have heard before and that you are well aware of. But I believe that it's one of those passages that we are very familiar with, but we don't know a lot about it. And so we want to look at it today and see how can we better understand what's happening and what does that teach us about our God. Now, the other thing that we're going to find today is we're going to see a pattern that pops up in Scripture. And that is in the midst of these profound moments where Jesus is with his disciples and he's teaching them something very significant that the disciples miss the point. And I always take comfort in that because I think if his closest companions miss a point, then surely God will be merciful on us when we miss the point, which has happened time again, uh, once in the past, maybe for me or maybe for you, uh, it happens. So we will sometimes miss a point. But the point here, the one thing that we see is the disciples like you and like me wanted to find their hope. They wanted to find freedom in a changing world. Jesus was offering it to them, but they were missing the point. But I believe for us today that when we lean in and see what Jesus is doing, that just like for the disciples, for us who are looking for hope, we're looking for meaning, looking for purpose in a changing world, that it's right there for us provided by Christ. So that is what we're going to look at. And we're going to try to not miss the point. Now, I was thinking about what are some of the ways that people sometimes miss the point? And, and there's some, I, one great thing about online is you can find stories about almost anything. But I, I found some pictures here, just to get us started, of people who missed the point of something. The first one we have here, this is, this is a math test. Find X. Now, the teacher, apparently in this, the story is the teacher thought the student missed a point. I actually think the student is brilliant, but... Next one, some people are missing the point. <laughs> How about next? 
You got to read breaking news. Breaking news. The Titanic sunk 102 years ago. Okay. Okay. I thought it was funny. All right. What's that? The wireless company selling you wires. Okay. Good. And finally, yeah, it's a highlighter. Look at what's highlighted. Kind of missing the point of why you use a highlighter. So there are things that we sometimes do. I guess it was funnier to me. It was very early in the morning when I was picking these out. But for some of us, when we look around, there's many times that we just kind of miss the point of what's right before us. So today what we want to do is not miss the point. In Luke chapter 22, as we look at this passage, we looked at last week as it started, and the context of it was that Jesus is celebrating his Passover meal with his disciples. And to understand the Passover, it's rooted in Exodus chapter 12. We kind of looked at it briefly last week. I just want to get us up to speed. But where we have, where we're going to pick up the story today, is Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They're getting ready to celebrate this Passover feast. Now, Passover, to this day, is celebrated every year by the Jewish people. It's one of the most important celebrations. It's known as a festival of freedom. It's to remember when God passed over their people and spared their lives Before he led them out of Egypt, they were in bondage, they were in slavery in Egypt, and God, through a series of miraculous events, set them free, and then the Exodus happened in our book of Exodus, where they went from slavery into freedom. And so on the night of the Passover, God passed over everyone who had the blood of a lamb over their doorposts, and then it inaugurated a feast that every year was to be taken to remember these events. And and the Festival of Freedom, or Passover, is to remember a few things. This is what happens on the meal. All the way to the time of Christ, to till day. This is what it's for. It's one, to remember the bitterness of slavery. So the point of the meal is that there's questions that you ask during the meal. There's, there's, you recall the story of Exodus. You uh, partake in some of these elements that remind you of the bitterness of slavery. It's one of the things you want to remember, what it was like to be a slave. Now the people at the time of Christ were never slaves in Egypt, but they wanted to remember their heritage and remember their history. Remember the bitterness of slavery. The next thing was to celebrate God's deliverance. The point of the Passover was to remember that though we were in bondage, God set us free and we want to celebrate that our God does not leave us in our bondage. And then finally, the, the meal became a one that would be to anticipate a future deliverance through the Messiah. In fact, uh, maybe some of you, you grew up in the Jewish faith. Some of you grew up Messianic Jews. Uh, but to this day, the Seder meal, uh, Seder means uh, the order of events, and it's used to celebrate the Passover. And to this day, the, the Messiah and anticipation of a Messiah is a very big part of this meal. Now, those who are Jews who believe in Jesus, it's more of a remembrance that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment. For those who who don't believe that, they're anticipating one day that the Messiah will come. We know by first century, when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, they were already anticipating a Messiah. That was a big part of the meal at the time of Christ. So this is kind of what's going on. This is the context of this event. Now, in scripture, 
God will often use, almost always, he uses physical realities to point and, and to point, paint the picture of spiritual realities. So God will use physical things to paint a picture of spiritual realities. So the Passover meal is this physical thing, the deliverance out of Egypt was a physical thing, but pointing to spiritual realities. And the spiritual reality was these same things. To help us remember the bitterness of slavery, in this case it wasn't physical slavery, but it's a spiritual slavery. To remember the bitterness and what it is to be uh, in the bondage of sin and how our sin carries a weight. And part of the Passover meal was to remember and to recall that our sin comes at a price. And also the spiritual reality that God is a deliverer. The story of Passover is a beautiful picture of the gospel, and here's why. Because though we are in slavery, and it seems there is no way, we see that God will find a way when there is no way. That he doesn't leave us in hopelessness, but he always provides a way. So God provides his Messiah, Jesus, to take us from the bitterness and bondage of our slavery, our spiritual slavery, and gives us an opportunity for freedom. The story is not good news if it stops at you are sinners and you better find a way to save yourself. That is not good news. But the spiritual reality that even in our bondage, God provides a way is a part of the Passover meal. It's a spiritual reality. And then for the Passover, though they're anticipating a Messiah, we will see now in just a moment how Jesus takes this event and this last time he celebrates Passover and he claims it for himself. And no longer should this event be used to anticipate the future deliverance through a Messiah, but to actually celebrate that Jesus has made that happen already. And that is the context in which we're looking at it. So let's look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to find it in we are going to walk through a few of the elements here today, but first, let's pick it up. And we're going to pick it up in verse 7. And it says this, Then came the first day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So the beginning of last week, we talked about the feast of the unleavened bread. For one week, you eat bread that is made without yeast, without leaven. So uh, it's to remember the haste in which you had to leave Egypt and to remember that God comes through on his promises and on the first day, it, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, so it begins with the Passover meal, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. So they left and they found everything just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, this is kind of a strange little passage, is it not? You wonder, did God miraculously, like, what's going on? You found a guy carrying a pitcher of water. He's probably carrying it on his head. And then they followed him to his house and said, the Lord needs your house for the Passover. When you look at this, you might think, I, this is one of those bizarre little moments in scripture that we read, we just keep going by. But what this probably indicates is that Jesus had made arrangements ahead of time with the owner of this house. We knew at the time that the, the chief priests and some of the leaders, 
and the, the Jewish people wanted Jesus to be silenced. He was claiming to be Messiah. People were following him and claiming that he is the Messiah, the one to deliver them. The crowds were excited about him, and at the same time, there were some who wanted to get rid of his ministry. Everywhere he went, he attracted a crowd. He wanted to celebrate this final Passover in the intimacy with his disciples. So he already prepared ahead of time. He found someone. It's obviously a wealthy person who has a home in Jerusalem. Could it be one of the wealthy disciples of Jesus we read about? Um, the kind of secret disciples. We, we hear of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. These are uh, Pharisees who believed in Jesus, who probably had great wealth, probably had a home in Jerusalem. It could have been them or someone like them. But whatever it was, someone that Jesus talked to ahead of time says, I want to celebrate Passover with my disciples. And that would be his 12 and also probably another circle of, of men and women who were following him. And said, I want to have this, but I don't want the crowds. I don't want everyone else. We're going to have a final meal. So they make this arrangement, the symbol of a guy carrying a jar of water. Uh, the significance of that is it would be culturally very strange to see a male carrying the water. That was a job for the females. I didn't say it. That was just cultural history. All right. And so that was the symbol, and to follow that guy, and then they had some sort of code word that said, the teacher wants to use your house. It was already arranged. That was how they found the place, but it was showing that, that this was something that Jesus had thought about, he planned, and this was a very important event. Now, verse 14, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, at this moment, uh, we see something that's happening. It says that Jesus reclined at the table with them. In, in our, our world, sometimes we, or when we first read about the Passover, the very first meal, they were told to stand up and to eat it. Later, it became tradition to recline while they ate it. They would recline, that was a symbol of freedom. And so they would eat it as reclining. And to this day, part of the Passover meal, you should recline because it means we recline because we are free. We're no longer slaves. So he's, he's reclining with them, and he says, I've desired to eat this because I will never eat it again. I'm about to suffer, and I'm not going to eat this again until it's been fulfilled. Now, if you were the disciples, this would be one where you would start to ask questions. Jesus, what is going on? What do you mean you're going to suffer? And certainly, perhaps that was part of their conversation. We're not privy to everything that they asked, or maybe as often seemed to be the case of the disciples, they just went like, Okay. Sometimes what we do when we hear the word taught, right? We just look and go, okay, what's next? They just heard him, but he says, I, I'm going to eat this because the next time it will be fulfilled. What will be fulfilled? You ever notice that? I will not eat this again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The whole symbolism of the Passover, the anticipation of a Messiah, and this belief that the Passover is celebrating and waiting for a future, a new exodus, a new Passover, God's ultimate spiritual de deliverance. Jesus is saying, hey, after this weekend, this will be fulfilled. The next time you eat of this, this is all the Messiah will have accomplished what you are waiting for. You accomplish what you were waiting for. So then he goes on and says, take this cup and share it among yourselves. 
For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. Again, this will be the last time I get to sit and enjoy a meal with you. Now we're going to talk about it in a moment, but there was, uh, th- there's multiple cups mentioned in this, uh, in this story. And we know that according to a normal Passover meal, there's four cups of wine that were drank. So next time when you see after this, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and some of the disciples fall asleep while praying, don't be so hard on them. They just had four cups of wine, okay? Try to have a prayer session after that. (laughs) But so this is one of the cups. He takes it and passes around and, and gives thanks, a blessing over the wine. Then when he had taken some bread and gave thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to look at this in a moment. So this is part of, this whole thing is a picture of a Passover meal. And we want to understand now, what are these symbols that he is talking about and what is happening? Now, there's a famous rendering of the Passover meal that I think is really wrong. I want to show you, Leonardo da Vinci painted the famous The Last Supper, So this is his painting. This is his depiction of it. And this kind of helps us or sometimes makes people think of this is what the Last Supper was like or this should be a Passover meal. Now I want to show you where a few things are wrong to help us understand it better. First of all, there are a bunch of white Italians. Okay, so right there. Right there we're wrong. Apparently that was more popular for him to do that. But a couple other things is they are sitting at the table. They're sitting upright. They wouldn't have been sitting upright. They'd be seated on the floor. They would be on the floor and they'd be reclining. And they would be reclining to their left side. That was tradition for them. Uh, They probably would be sitting in a table, a big square table, so that they could face each other. Now, that probably wouldn't work well for the painting, so I won't blame Leonardo for that. The other thing you may notice is the bread in this painting is not leavened bread. It's or it's leavened bread. It's not unleavened bread. It's kind of big ciabatta rolls sitting on the table there. <laughs> that culturally is very, would be unacceptable and would make no sense in the context of a Passover meal. The other thing that's a side note, we can't prove it, but I, I'm very convinced that he has the age of disciples all wrong. They look like a bunch of disgruntled older people and none of them look happy to be hanging out with Jesus. Uh, most likely, Jesus' disciples, I'm convinced, were probably high school age or at the very latest, college age. Culturally, that would, picture does not make much sense. But we want to focus more on the Passover meal and the symbolism. So let's look at a few things. The first one is this. It's the bread. He takes the bread. And when he gets to the bread, he takes it, he breaks it, and he says, this is my body that's been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, for most of us in here, that sounds pretty familiar, does it not? We think, oh, he's talking about communion. And for us today, this is communion. This is where we get our tradition of communion, of remembering Jesus. But the symbolism of what was going on was profound. You see, because what Jesus was doing is he was taking the unleavened bread. And there was a tradition that dates back, and we do have a a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, from the first century BC, so before Christ's teaching ministry, as well as Rabbi Gamaliel, who also taught during the time of Christ and also actually discipled 
the Apostle Paul, they both wrote about this bread. And they said part of the Passover meal is you would have three pieces of bread. Now to this day, there's a lot of different debate about what these breads uh, represent for to this day. And there have been writings throughout history that are trying to make it less and less pointing to Christ. But in the time of Christ, we know from the rabbis that what, the bread, what they would do is they had three pieces of unleavened bread. And they would take the middle one out. And you take the middle piece out and you would break it. And this is a tradition that still happens to this day. And you take the piece of bread and break it and hide one of it for after the meal. That would be hidden and it's called the afikomen, which is a Greek word. Basically, some think of it as dessert. But a piece of bread would be broken and hidden. And it's even in some families, it's a game where the youngest tries to go and find it or everyone tries to find it. But the symbolism of this, according to the first century rabbis, was this bread represented the Messiah. It represented the haste in which God delivered his people from Israel, uh, from Egypt, and the haste in which he will deliver us once again. So this piece of bread, the middle piece, was known to be this, when we break this, when we hide this, when we think of it, this is the Messiah. So now, that's your tradition. You're remembering that every year. And every year, you eat that and think, oh yeah, when we do this, we're anticipating one day the Messiah will come. Now, translate this to the time of Christ. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They get to a point in the meal that they would be familiar with. He takes the piece of middle bread, and he breaks it, just like tradition. And they're thinking, oh, represents the Messiah. He said, no, this bread, this is me. This is me. Every time you eat of this, you do, do this in remembrance of me. This is no longer in remembrance, just in remembrance of what I did in the original Exodus. But this is what you've been waiting for. This is me that you've been anticipating and at this moment, Jesus claimed this meal and said what it has been pointing to all along is what is happening here tonight. And now when you eat of the bread, you're not hoping that one day the Messiah will come and deliver you. Not hoping that someday there's hope for your sins. Hope to take you out of bondage. But you're now celebrating that it will be accomplished and it's going to be accomplished by me. The disciples, you would hope, would think it's a pretty profound moment as he claims that. Those who were astute would certainly hear that and think, wow, can you believe what Jesus just said? Now, the next thing we see here is he then takes the cup. In the same way, in verse 20, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So right there, it said the cup after they'd eaten. Here's another cup mentioned. Remember I said there's, three, uh, there's four cups. Now, the third and the fourth very much have to do with an, a future deliverance. One of the cups uh, often is, is known to be the one that means I will redeem you, one of God's promises to the people of Israel in Exodus. And the other one is you will be my people. We don't know which of those cups it necessarily was. 
But when Jesus took the cup, it was a cup that had very much to do with I will redeem you. All the sins that you have, the bondage that you live in, I'm going to make a deal with you. The cup that you drink to remember that God is your redeemer tonight is representing a new covenant. A new covenant that I will be making with you. I will be your redeemer. And it's a new covenant in my blood. Now he was foreshadowing what's about to happen. In Jeremiah chapter 31, I want to read these verses to you. Chapter 31, verse 30 through 34. says this, Behold, the days are coming. A prophet wrote many years before Christ. God's speaking to Israel. And he says, When I will make a new covenant with, with Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. But this is a new covenant which I make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them on their heart and I will write it. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not have to teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. Said the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. See, this would be a verse that would be anticipating among the Jewish people of I will no longer remember their sins. That's my new covenant. I'm going to make it with my people. So on this night when they're celebrating the Exodus and Jesus is now saying, this now represents what's about to happen, a new covenant I make with you in my blood. Again, familiar symbols that perhaps we know very little about. But when we know them, now they speak to us in new ways. The story goes on. And then he says, but behold, verse 21, the hand of the one betraying me is with my hand on the table. For indeed, the son of man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man from whom he is betrayed. And then the disciples began to discuss among themselves which one is going to do this thing. Now, to help you understand this a little more, I want to bring up um, some more props for you. So if I could have my my, um, fellow helpers over here, I want to paint the picture of what I really think how this is happening here. Not only do they lead worship... But they, you're right over here. So this is how I think it is. We're going to show you how this looks. We're going to get nice and intimate here. Come on down and recline with me on the table. You would recline with your, your feet behind the person next to you. Now this on my right is John the disciple or Johnny the guitarist right here. And on my left is Judas. <laughs> I, I'm preaching so I get to be Jesus. So <laughs> now I believe that this is based on studying the story, I think this is the order in which they were sitting. We know from the book of John that that John, who wrote it, said that he was leaning against Jesus and he called himself the one that Jesus loves. So there you go. We love you today, Johnny. So, and based culturally on what's happening, I believe that Judas is the one sitting next to Jesus here. And Judas is in the place of honor in this meal. He's sitting there because Jesus invited him to sit there. You wouldn't take this seat for yourself. Again, imagine what's happening. Jesus already knows that Judas is going to betray him. Judas already knows that he's going to betray Jesus. He walks into the meal and says, Judas, I want you to sit right here at my place of honor at my table. 
well, we celebrate God's deliverance from sin. We're going to eat together. And as they ate together, and I'm not going to make you eat this now, but there's one of the elements here is the next thing. It says that he, the one in whose hand is on the table. Now we know from the other um, gospels that it says the one who dips in the bowl with me. And what happens is there's two times uh, when you actually take a bitter herb. This is regular parsley, very delicious. Um, all of us as kids probably saw it on the plate at one th- time when we were, you know, eating out with our parents and thought, oh, is that good? You take a bite and you realize, no, it is not. <laughs> but part of the tradition is you would dip it in salt water and then what it forms is it makes teardrops to remember the bitterness of slavery. And then you'd eat it. It's bitter. It's commanded in scripture to eat the bitter herbs on the night of Passover. So likely what's happening is the bowl that was shared was shared between Jesus and Judas. I really could make you eat this right now and just watch you, but I'm not going to this time. By the way, tonight we're going to, in tonight's service, we're going to actually eat some of these elements together. So now picture what's happening. I've often read this story and when we read all this, the gospels, it starts to make more sense. Because here's what's happening. Jesus said, the one who had his hand, who dipped with me, is going to betray me. And all the disciples start saying, well, what's he talking about? Which to me seems like, well, just who dipped it with, you know, who dipped into the bowl with you? But they couldn't believe that someone would betray him. So what do they do? They ask John. In the book of John, it says that Peter looks to John and says, hey, ask Jesus who he's talking about. Doesn't that seem weird to you? Don't you think Jesus heard Peter say that? (laughs) But there's an intimacy in conversation. See, Johnny, where he's sitting, can lean back and just say, hey, Jesus, why don't you hook a brother up? <laughs> Tell me who you're talking about, because I know it's not me. Is it my brother? I bet it's my brother, isn't it? <laughs> but he leans back and says it to Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't seem to tell him. But there's another thing that happens in this story, is there's an exchange between Jesus, Jesus and Judas. And Judas looks at him and says, is it me you're talking about? And Jesus says to him, what you're about to do, go and do it. Don't you think if that was out loud in front of the whole table, everyone would think it's pretty clear? But it says Judas gets up and goes and everyone else says, what just happened? Where's Judas going? (laughs) Could it be that Jesus was having an intimate conversation with Judas? He's saying, Judas, I know what you're going to do. Just go do it. You can go. Instead of this moment where Christ is just saying, here's the traitor, here's the betrayer, he's going to stab me in the back, he has one final moment of intimacy, one final moment to say, I want you to know, I know what you're about to walk into and yet you still have a place at my table. There's still hope for you, Judas. You're part of this story. How many of us feel like we're Judas? How many of us feel like we're sitting next to Christ and we're betraying him? And we think that the very thing he'll do is when we walk in the room to the table, he says, you over there, I don't want you anywhere near me. That's what we do when we have people we don't like. But instead of Jesus pushing away, he invites him in. 
In fact, invites him to the most important seat at the table. Passover is a festival of freedom. It's a reminder that what God is about to do is to give us the spiritual reality of a possibility of being saved from our sins. Now, it didn't end well for Judas. (laughs) But I believe it could have. Even after his betrayal, there was room at the cross for Judas. There was room at the table to be forgiven. That's what this event is all about. That's what it's about. That's what they're celebrating. That's what they experienced together in the new Passover that started that night. I guess I might as well just invite the worship team up so you guys don't have to get back down. So. <laughs> yeah, you guys can start coming up. Just stand up here for a while with me. <laughs> I want to show you one more thing. Right after that, look at verse 24. There arose among the disciples a dispute as to which one was regarded to be the greatest. A dispute among which one was regarded to be the greatest. Do you see what just happened in this meal? Jesus just said, hey, I am your deliverer. There is new hope. I'm going to deliver you from your bondage, from slavery, from the life that you are caught up in. And the next conversation they said is, that's awesome. I wonder which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. The very thing they did was to go back into the whole point of why Jesus was coming is they were going back into their own selfishness, going back into their own kingdom, going back to what they knew, which was their sin nature. So in this greatest moment, they missed the point. But that is the point. The point is that we miss the point. So Jesus came. He entered in. He provided a way when there was no way. He gave hope where there was no hope. Because left to ourselves, the very next thing we do is we start to argue and figure out, how can this benefit me? How will this make me look better? And we miss the point. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, I have it on the screen for you. He says, I delivered to you as of first first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. See, Paul, when recalling this event, says, I write to you of what's first importance, that Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again. And he did it for you, And he did it for me. He did it for Judas. He did it for John. He did it for everyone who misses the point. As we end our time here today, we are going to celebrate what we call communion. And I don't know if I need to explain the symbolism of it now. (laughs) When we take of the elements today, we have a couple songs, take time to go to the tables. And when you take the bread, today will you look at that bread 
and know that Jesus was saying, this is me, the answer to your problems, the hope that you're looking for, the purpose in a changing world, the one who is unchanging, who's here for you. This is my body, this is me, the fulfillment of everything that scripture was pointing to. Do this in remembrance of me. And when you take that cup, know that this cup was Jesus saying, the Messiah was coming to redeem you, to purchase you out of the life that you are living. And you will be my people. It is a covenant poured out for you. A covenant that can't be broken because it's made by God. And so when you take the cup, it's to remind us that you are his people, purchased by Jesus. And that can't be taken away, even by your stupidity. <laughs> when you miss the point, because no way can your sin outdo the grace of God and the covenant he made. You're just not that big to outdo God's grace. So take a couple songs if you want to go alone, if you want to go to the tables as a life group, if you want to go as a family, as a couple, however you want to do it. Take the elements if you want to pray around the room, feel free. But let's do this, this today in remembrance of our Savior. Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the fact that sometimes we're sitting at the table with you and we miss the point. Lord, sometimes we're just caught up in, in, in even see what you're telling us and we miss the point. And Lord, there are so many times we walk away. But God, this morning we remember that because we miss the point, that is the point. We need you. And so, Lord, thank you that you provide a way when there's no way. This morning, Lord, let us remember you as the fulfillment of everything our hearts are longing for. We thank you and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.